You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Uh, Good evening and Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Tonight we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Uh, And and for this sermon, celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, we're going to be considering what some people call the Song of Simeon, or if you like Latin and old choral music, the Nunc Dimittis, right? It's real pretty. You have no idea what they're saying unless you have an English translation, but it's a gorgeous song. Um, Anyhow, our our passage for this evening, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32, uh, and our passage tonight is one that's really very fitting for us to hear Uh, with Christmas just a couple of days away. Uh, But to be honest, at least from my talking with with a few different people, uh, it's probably one of the lesser-known Christmas texts of Scripture, Uh, and that's probably because it takes place 41 days after (laughs) the birth of Jesus. Uh, It has to do with a man named Simeon, uh, who's, who's mentioned only once in the Bible and only in this portion of Luke's Gospel. We don't have much information on Simeon at all, Uh, really just what these few verses tell us. Beyond that, it's just conjecture. Uh, But this passage isn't really about Simeon. It's not. This text, like the rest of Scripture, is uh, about Jesus, simply put. Simeon is only a supporting character. Jesus is the star. Write that down. Just like every other portion of Scripture. Jesus is the centerpiece of it, and everyone else is a supporting character. But, but in this passage, this man Simeon is going to see Jesus for the first time, uh, and maybe for the only time in his life. And when he sees Jesus, God allows him to see who Jesus really is. And Simeon's response is to break out into prophetic praise to God. And in his praise to God, and the words that he speaks, which, a quick aside are somewhat poetic in structure and feel like a song, which is why this is an early hymn of the church. But in his praise, in the words that he speaks, Simeon tells everyone who hears him, both on that day and now for us who read, Simeon tells us who Jesus really is. You know, for for most in Israel at that time, and sadly, many people today throughout the world, when they think of Jesus, they don't really see who Jesus is. They think of him as just a man, Uh, maybe a good man with some good words to say, a good philosopher, a good ethical teacher, but a mere man nonetheless. And at Christmas time, people tend to think of only a baby born in a manger to poor parents if they think of Jesus at all. They go no further. They go no deeper than that. The majority don't. For most, even most professing Christians, I would wager, The account of Jesus being born is something that produces a lot of warm emotions, but it's nothing but mere sentiment. It just makes your feelies feel good whenever you think about this baby being born. And that's because most have not seen Jesus with the eye of faith. They've not looked upon the face of the incarnate Son of God and beheld him truly. They've not seen him for who he is. So a question for you this evening, or a, a series of questions for you, What do you see when you see this baby Jesus in Scripture? What do you see? 
When you think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think about? What do you think of when you think of Christmas? My prayer is that you would see what Simeon saw and that you would see with faith, right? Not, let me stress this, not just with intellectual understanding of what Simeon says here because unbelievers can read this passage and intellectually understand what Simeon says. But my prayer is that you would see with the faith that Simeon had on that day. All right, now it's going to take us a little bit of time to get there, but what we're going to see, right, by the way, the phrase, we're going to see what Simeon saw, sounds funny, but I'm going to say it a lot, a lot of S's in this sermon, already we're doing it, you can hear it now, right, we're going to see what he saw when he looked upon the infant Christ, and I believe he saw three things, first, he saw God's salvation, second, he saw light for the Gentiles, and praise God for that, third, he saw the glory of Israel. And may God grant us to see all these things this evening so that we would make much of Christ and rejoice in his birth, that we would rejoice that Christ came into the world to save sinners. So with that said, let's go ahead and read our text for this evening. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we come to you now and ask that you would enlighten our minds with the truth of your word. By your spirit, please make this text real to us as I said earlier, not just an intellectual thing, but make it real to our hearts. Help us to digest it and feed on it and receive it with faith. Grant to us spiritual eyes that we would see your son, the Christ, the savior of the world. Make much of yourself this evening. Glorify yourself in the preaching and hearing of your holy word. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so a bit, of a, a bit of setting, a bit of context uh, to get us going. It's always good whenever we're dropping in on a passage that we've not been studying. Um, this passage actually begins in verse 22. If you're reading along in your Bible, you saw we kind of jumped in on a weird spot. This passage actually starts in verse 22. And in verses 22 through 24 of Luke chapter 2, uh, we read what the occasion was of our text this evening. Uh, you see, Joseph... Uh, Mary and Jesus were at the temple. And when we say the temple, it's always good to clarify, we mean the temple complex, right? Not the inner part of the temple, right? Not the sanctuary. Uh, that, that's only, only priests could go in there. Um, in the temple complex in Jerusalem in the first century, there were many courts and many sections to the temple, and then there was the sanctuary on the innermost part. Uh, but they were probably in what was called the court of women, since that would be as far into the temple complex as Mary could go as a woman. Um, but they're there to offer sacrifices 
in accord with the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. Uh, you see, after having a child, the mother was considered ceremonially unclean for 40 days. Uh, and not only that, but every firstborn male of a family had to be presented at the temple. So that's why Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were at the temple that day. They were there to offer sacrifices for Mary's ceremonial purification and also to present Jesus as the firstborn male of this family. Um, and a quick aside, right, because that may sound strange to some of you, that Mary would have to offer up sacrifice uh, for her ritual purity. Uh, just because Mary was ceremonially unclean does not mean that she sinned by giving birth to Jesus, right? That's absurd. Uh, and that's not the point of the ceremonial laws and cleanliness rituals and all of that of the Old Testament. Um, but explaining the purpose of those laws is a sermon in and of itself that we don't have time for. But let it be sufficient for our purposes this evening to say this. This is always a good thing to point out. The fact that the Holy Family were at the temple on that day shows the godliness of Jesus' earthly parents. I like that. Right? Father chose good earthly parents for his only begotten son, right? Now, they weren't sinless. Again, this is a sermon in and of itself. That's a silly Catholic myth about Mary. She was a sinner who needed saved just like everyone else. She is not the mediatrix of your salvation. That's blasphemy. But Jesus' parents were both devout. They loved the Lord. And their love for God and desire to walk in his commandments, even the ceremonial commandments, is what sets the stage for our passage. Now, verse 25 is, is where the account of Simeon begins. And we're told that he lived in Jerusalem, where the temple was. You see how this is all coming together. Simeon lived in Jerusalem, where the temple was. And he was righteous and devout. Now, what does that mean? Well, he was righteous. He was a just man. I believe the King James Version says he was just and devout. Meaning he dealt justly with those around him. He tried to keep the law of God towards his neighbors and love them as he loved himself, as the Old Testament tells us were to do and he was devout meaning he was devoted to God he was diligent in his obedience to the Lord he loved God and he desired to honor him and glorify him and everything that he did in other words you could put it this way to say that he is righteous and devout is to say that Simeon was an exemplary believer right he wasn't perfect again he was a sinner he was born in Adam like all of us and he needed forgiveness that only comes from God but Simeon was a godly man he was genuinely converted a righteous and devout man. And verse 25 tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a good term. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, consolation here is a word that means comfort or comfort her. Uh, the root word of it, I can't remember what it is, but it's real similar to paraclete, what, what the Holy Spirit is called in Greek, right? The comforter, the helper. He's waiting for comfort for Israel. Simeon's waiting for the one who will bring consolation and who will bring comfort and help to the people of God. This is a reference to the Messiah. Very clearly, it's a reference to the Messiah. Throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah, words about comfort and help are constantly used in Messianic prophecies. Isaiah chapter 49 is one example of this. Uh, that chapter tells us of the Messiah and how God has chosen him to redeem his people. And in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 13, we read this. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. Why? For Yahweh, for the Lord, has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. 
the Messiah is going to comfort, or God is going to comfort through the Messiah. Or most famously, you guys know this one, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. In this passage, the Messiah is speaking directly, and this is also the passage that Jesus preached his first sermon in his public ministry. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Right, that's what the Messiah says in Isaiah 61. And there are many more examples we could look at, but I think that's enough to prove this point. The consolation of Israel is the Messiah. It's the Christ, and it's always good for us to remember Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? Christ is his title. It's his office. Christ is just the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for Messiah. He is Jesus the Messiah. So the consolation of Israel is the Christ, the Messiah of God. And our text tells us Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah. Now, a quick aside, this tells us for sure that Simeon was a believer. And I can't pass up an opportunity to speak to this. He was what we call an Old Testament saint. He believed God's promises. He trusted God. He believed that God would someday send the Messiah to redeem the people of God from their sins and establish the kingdom of God. He believed God, and just like us, by faith alone, Simeon was justified. He was made right with God by faith alone. You see, Old Testament believers were saved the same way that we are, by faith. This always bears repeating because there is so much bad teaching, particularly some forms of dispensationalism that says Jews were saved one way, Christians are saved another, and even to this day, Jews can still be saved another way. That's nonsense, right? The Bible tells us in Genesis that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? It was credited to his account as righteousness. Paul brings it up in Romans chapter 4 and says, Abraham was justified by faith, same way that we are. Old Testament believers like Simeon were made right with God by believing God's promises of what he would one day do through the Messiah. That's how they were saved. They believed God's promises of what he would do eventually. And then they expressed their faith through participation in the ceremonial and sacrificial systems of the Old Covenant and their obedience to the moral law of God as well. And New Testament believers like us are saved how? By looking back to what God has already done through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Right, but both of us, all of God's people, and I want to, there is only one people of God under both testaments. All of God's people, whether under the old covenant or the new covenant, are always and have always been saved by looking to the consolation of Israel. Whether like Simeon, they looked forward to the coming of the consolation of Israel, or like us, we look back to what the consolation of Israel has done for us. But right standing with God has always been by faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? But back to our text. I can't pass up opportunities to, to, to do that. Verse 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Through special revelation, God told Simeon directly that he will behold the Christ with his own eyes before he dies. Here's the weight of that. Imagine if God revealed to you that you would live to see the bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that you would not taste death until you witnessed with your own eyes the Lord Jesus crack the sky open and descend with the sound of a trumpet and the cry of command and the shout of an archangel, that you would live to see Jesus come to earth to save his people fully and judge the nations. All right? Well, that's on par with what God promised Simeon. Amazing thing. He promised Simeon that he would see the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Advent means, if you didn't know that. But could you imagine the excitement that Simeon must have had? Right, This abundant sense of expectation that he must have had every single day. Just follow me on this. He, he lived in Jerusalem, close to the temple. And Simeon's a devout Jew. He knows the Old Testament. He knows that the Messiah is going to be born a Jewish man born to King David's lineage. And not only that, but Simeon knows the ceremonial law's requirements that this Messiah is going to have to be brought to the temple at some point. I imagine that Simeon was at the temple on a regular basis looking for the Messiah. The text doesn't tell us that directly, but I think it can be inferred. I know I would be at the temple regularly looking for the Messiah. I'm sure that everywhere Simeon went and in everything he did, he kept his eye out for the Christ. Right? Asking himself daily, is this the one? Or like, is today the day? Right? Imagine that. Waking up every morning, is today the day? Is today the day that I get to see the Messiah sent from God? Well, one day the Holy Spirit directs Simeon to the temple. Verse 27 tells us. And it was on this day that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus just so happened to be there offering sacrifices as the law of Moses commanded. Now, quick aside, this was not coincidence. We don't believe in that. Right? Like that stupid Christmas song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I'm a Scrooge. Right? It says, From now on, we all will be together if the fates allow. We don't believe in fate. Right? We're not pagans. <laughs> That's nonsense. We believe in the providence of God. And that song's not that bad. Just that one line always irritates me. All right? Just give me a break. There are no accidents. Right? God had orchestrated this entire event. Simeon is being led by the Spirit of God into the temple. Jesus and his family were there in accordance with the law of Moses that God had given thousands of years prior. God was finally going to keep his promise to his servant Simeon and allow him to see the Messiah. And at the direction of the Holy Spirit, Simeon approaches Mary and Joseph and takes the infant Jesus in his arms and he begins to praise God. Consider quickly the kindness of God here towards Simeon. God is actually doing more than he promised to Simeon. If you read the text carefully, it just says that Simeon would see the Messiah. And now God is actually allowing Simeon to hold the incarnate Son of God. How amazing is that? Right? Let us never forget that God is abundantly kind to his people and trustworthy to do every single thing that he has promised. That's one of the big messages of Christmas. Right? That, that, that is to do with this season and the incarnation of the Son of God, is that God always does what he promises. So let there be no doubt in any of us that we can take God at his word. Whether he promises to bless his people, whether he promises suffering and tribulation to his people, or whether he promises eternal wrath to those who reject the Lord Jesus and refuse to submit to him, God is always faithful to his word. But now we come to the core of our sermon and that's Simeon's song of praise. Let's read verses 29 through 32 again. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, By the work of the Holy Spirit, God permitted Simeon to see, to really see who Jesus is. Which is, by the way, how anyone ever sees who Jesus really is, is by the work of God to grant that to them. But as Simeon holds the infant Christ, the veil was pulled away, and by God's grace, Simeon saw the reality of the significance of this newborn son. But what is it that Simeon saw? First, he saw the salvation of God. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Simeon saw God's salvation. The salvation of God. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that God needs saving, right? The salvation of God. I don't mean that God needs saving. Uh, that's ludicrous and blasphemous. The holy, almighty God of the universe does not need save from anyone or anything. Rather, I mean salvation that comes from God. That's what Simeon means when he says, now I have seen your salvation. Salvation that comes from God. That's what he sees when he looks in the face of Christ. Now, that Jesus is salvation from God tells us that he is the Savior. This is very basic Christianity stuff. But it's good to hear again. That he is salvation reminds us that he is the Savior. And a Savior and salvation implies the need of a people or a person. Particularly the need of being rescued or being saved from something. And that people who needs rescued is us. It's us who need saved. We need rescued from our sins. We need rescued from the wrath of the holy God and judge of all the earth. It is sinners who need a savior. You see, and again, it's, it's never a bad time for us to hear these truths rehearsed again. Right? Don't, don't ever think that you can think about Christmas and the incarnation of the Son of God without thinking about sin because it is particularly because of the sin of mankind that the Son of God had to be born. We cannot divorce those things. I know Christmas is a happy time, but we cannot divorce these two things. You see, we've incurred a debt to God in our disobedience to Him, and we've brought down the wrath of God upon our own heads by our willful and glad rebellion against Him. Every perverted thought, every hateful word, every evil deed, every instance of refusing to submit ourselves to God, every instance of refusing to lay down our pride and submit to him, every single sin, whether small or great in our eyes, has brought the fierce and eternal anger of God upon us. God is holy and God is just and he will not make exceptions on letting a sinner go free. God will not let the sinner go free without satisfaction to his holiness and justice. There is a debt that must be paid. There must be judgment because there has been sin. He cannot let the commission of sin go unpunished. It would be against his nature to do such a thing. And hear me. He must be faithful to himself above all things. And that's bad news for people who have broken his law. He must be faithful to himself. On our own, we stand condemned and in danger of an eternity in the fires of hell. We need a Savior, and we have needed a Savior since Genesis 3. We've always needed a Savior. 
and only God, only the God that we have sinned against can save us from our sins. What a dilemma. What a dilemma that this is. This means that we need salvation that comes from God. We need God himself, the one we've offended, to work our salvation for us. And that's exactly what Simeon says that Jesus is. He is salvation that comes from God. It's Jesus who, as the angel told Joseph, will save his people from their sins. It's Jesus who will be hanged on the tree for us. It's Jesus who will bear the awful weight of sin in place of sinners. It's Jesus who will give himself as a sacrifice for sinners. It's Jesus who will be punished in place of the people of God. It's Jesus who's going to suffer the wrath of God on our behalf so that we can go free and be forgiven by God because his wrath has been satisfied by the work of another. It is Jesus who will save us. He is the salvation of God. This is the destiny of the baby that Simeon tenderly holds in his arms on that day. His destiny is a bloody and shameful cross. His destiny is to bear the wrath of God on behalf of sinners in order to save God's people from their sin. Whenever you think about the infant Christ, I want you to remember this. This baby was born to die. And he was born to die for us in our place. What good news for us to hear. This is what we rejoice in. But what a great cost for the child that Simeon holds in his arms. This child, more innocent than any of our children, must, by the will of God, grow up to die for us. So sinful and wicked are we that nothing else will do. No other sacrifice could save us. And yet, the Son of God willingly laid aside his glory for just this purpose. I want to be clear, this is not the divine child abuse. The Son of God willingly laid his glory aside and became human to accomplish this purpose. What a Savior. Truly, as God says in Isaiah, who will you liken me to? To whom will you compare me? There are none like me in all the earth. There are none like this Savior. And quickly, briefly, notice here something that maybe you missed. Simeon declares that this baby in his arms is salvation itself. Jesus is salvation. Our salvation is a person. Not a plan or an act, though. There is certainly a plan of redemption from eternity past. And the Lord Jesus certainly acted in accord with that plan to accomplish the purposes of redemption that God had planned from eternity. But this text tells us that Jesus Christ himself is our salvation. He's not just the worker of our salvation, but he is the salvation itself. Now, I'm going to keep it real with you. I need to spend more time thinking about this in the future. But let me take you as far as I can go with that right now. I don't know everything. How unsearchable are the riches of Christ? Give me a break. Right? So, like, I'm going to take you as deep as I know how to go. Jesus himself, not just what he has done, is our salvation. Consider this. He himself is our federal head. Meaning, he is our covenant representative before God. Not merely his works, though that's certainly there, but he himself is the one who stands in the gap 
between us and the God we've sinned against. He mediates for us. Not only his works, but he himself mediates for us. He himself is the atoning sacrifice. Hear me. He didn't just offer a sacrifice on our behalf like the Old Testament high priest did. Rather, he, the high priest, offered himself as the sacrifice on our behalf. So we say that he himself is our atonement to God. And he is our righteousness. We are not just declared righteous in the abstract, but the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, is our righteousness. His works are imputed to us by faith. Why? Because by faith we are, as Paul says, united to him. We are in Christ. And therefore we are righteous because Christ is our righteousness. This is a good point. This is a good reminder for me this past week. We aren't merely saved by what Jesus did, but we are saved by Jesus himself. That's good. We receive salvation because we have received him. We receive salvation because we are united and in him. Salvation is the byproduct of getting him. He himself is our salvation. We don't just trust what he did. We trust him. We don't trust in abstract things or doctrines. Let me say this again for all the Reformed people in the room. I needed to hear this. I am not saved by the doctrine of justification. I am not saved by the doctrine of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am not saved by the penal substitutionary theory of the atonement. I am saved by Jesus Christ who has done these things. He is our salvation. A person is our salvation, and his name is Jesus. Not just what he did, but who he is. He saves. And a quick note on that, there is no salvation outside of him. He alone can save. If he is salvation itself, then there can be no salvation outside of him. There can be no forgiveness of sin apart from him, so we must look to him and trust him if we are to be saved. But what else did Simeon see when he looked upon the baby Jesus? He saw light for the Gentiles, verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This baby that Simeon holds is one day going to shine light on the entire world. Right? Gentiles means non-Jews. So to shine light to the Gentiles, light of revelation for the Gentiles means the whole world. Now, that he is light to the world implies something. Light suggests the coming of illumination to a dark place. And that dark place is the Gentile world. But how is the world dark? Like, what does that mean biblically? Well, outside of Israel, the world was one of rampant paganism. And I'm not saying Israel did not have their times of paganism. They surely did. But outside of Israel, the world is one of rampant paganism and demon worship at that time. The Gentile world was a place of ignorance and a place of godlessness. The Gentiles, by and large, were, with the exception of a few converts, were ignorant of sin, ignorant of guilt and righteousness and salvation. They did not know the God of Israel, who is the one true and living God. Up to this point in history, salvation was almost exclusively to be found in Israel because the nations did not know the God of Israel. But in Jesus Christ, who is light, 
A light of revelation is going to shine on the world, is what Simeon says. He says, that's what I see. A light of revelation to both Jew and Gentile, to show them all who God is and what he demands and how they can be saved by him. Every corner of this dark world is going to be illumined by Christ as God's salvation works its way to the world through the preaching of the gospel. And this idea of the Messiah being a light and revelation to the Gentiles is found in multiple places in Isaiah. The Messiah is called a light for the nations in chapter 42, verse 6. It is said of the Messiah that all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And what's implied is through him. That's Isaiah 52, verse 10. It's told that the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. In other words, the nations are going to flock to this baby. And they're going to know God and the salvation that he brings through him. What Simeon sees in the Christ child is God finally bringing to pass his great promise to Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, what did he say to him? God told Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's Gentiles. All the families of the earth, not just your family. Not just what will become the Jewish nation, but all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. All of the nations we bless through Christ, who is the descendant, or as Paul says in Galatians, the seed of Abraham. People from every tribe, tongue, nation, ethnic group, all over the world will be brought to the saving knowledge of God by him. So finally, Simeon is seeing that God is keeping his promise to save the world through the seed of the woman that he had promised in Genesis 3, through the offspring of Abraham that God had promised in Genesis 12. And not just saving the Jews, but saving the world. And and, and that makes me think of one last text on this point. And I think this is the big one that Simeon probably had in mind, and most of you know it. Not know that Simeon thought this, but you know this text. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In that text... God is speaking to the Messiah. God is speaking to Jesus, saying that it is too light a thing. It's too small a thing for him to only save the tribes of Israel. It's too small a thing for Jesus to only save the people of Israel. Rather, Jesus will be a light to the nation so that all peoples will be saved. And I love that verse. I love that. It's too small. It's too small to only save this small nation in the Middle East. It's too small a thing for salvation to not extend beyond Israel. Jesus is too glorious for that. His sacrifice is too great. It's too costly for just that. The glory of God is too magnificent for it to be restricted to such a small number. No, the world will be redeemed by the Redeemer. Jesus is to be the Savior of the nations in a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And we should all praise God for that because that is why we are saved. I assume that most of us in here are Gentiles, right? Or, or all of us, dare I say it, are Gentiles. The fact that we live on the other side of the world from where Jesus was born and all of this happens, and yet we know Jesus Christ savingly, that is proof that indeed he is light to the Gentiles. And God has been abundantly merciful to the whole world to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God is merciful. He's decided to save the world. 
in Christ who has become to us the saving light of revelation. Us who otherwise would have remained in the darkness of damnation have come to know God through the light of revelation to the Gentiles. And now the third thing that Simeon saw when he looked into the face of Christ, he saw the glory of Israel. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is the glory of Israel. But what does that mean, right? That sounds kind of weird. That sounds kind of mysterious. I think there are a couple of ways that we can understand this, so we're going to look at both of them. Uh, First, we can point out that to the ethnic people of Israel, to the physical descendants of Abraham, Jesus certainly is their glory. As Jesus says himself in in the Gospel of John, I believe it's chapter 6, but I've been wrong before, salvation comes from the Jews. The Messiah is a Jew. Jesus is Jewish. He didn't used to be Jewish. He's forever Jewish. He's the God-man from the moment of his incarnation forevermore. He is Jewish. Right? So just follow me on this. Remember this. All of the people of Israel are related. Right? All of them. They're all part of different tribes, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and those tribes, each of them, trace their lineage back to one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Right? Jacob got renamed Israel. That's why they're the sons or tribes of Israel. And Jacob, or Israel, traces his lineage back to Abraham. All of the Jewish people are related if they are indeed descendants of Abraham according to the flesh. If they are physical descendants of Abraham. Now, what does that have to do with Jesus being the glory of Israel? Here we go. That the Son of God would take on flesh and come through this people and be born into Abraham's family is the highest honor and privilege that God could possibly bestow upon an ethnic group or people. It is the highest honor that God could give to this family. Imagine if the Son of God was born in your family and had your last name. Imagine that. That is what has happened to Abraham and his family. In in a manner of speaking. Jesus has that last name of that family. What a huge jewel in the crown of your family that that would be. That's the idea here. God has blessed and placed Israel in such a privileged position by choosing them for such a great honor. God is putting himself on display through this ethnic people and nation. He's completing his promises and fulfilling his prophecies through them and among them in his only begotten son. And because of that, ethnic Israel forever has a special place in salvation history. This baby that Simeon looks upon is the glory of Israel. Right? He is the crown and high mark of that nation. But I think that we can also understand this on a deeper level as well. I'll be brief. As true as it is that Jesus is the glory of the earthly, physical Israel according to the flesh, it is doubly true for the spiritual Israel. Or what Paul calls the Israel of God at the end of Galatians. That is the church. The true people of God. The true Israel. It's true for us that Jesus is our glory. He's everything to us, isn't he? He's everything. He is our glory. By God's grace, opening our eyes to see him and our hearts to receive him, as God opened our hearts to receive him by faith, Jesus, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is our faithful husband. He is our living head. 
He is our mediator, our rock and our redeemer. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. He is our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice. He is our righteousness. He is our savior. We have been washed in his blood, saved by his grace, adopted into his family, ushered into his kingdom, and given eternal life through him and him alone. He is the glory of the true Israel. He is the glory of the church. We glory in him. We praise him. He is everything to us. He is the glory of the people of God. Always. And now we come to the last portion of our sermon. And what I want to do just briefly is I want us to consider the peace that Simeon had and why he had it. And it starts at the beginning of his song, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon sees the baby Jesus, the incarnate son of God, and he says, I can die now. He says, I can depart in peace. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And he says so particularly because, the next verse, my eyes have seen your salvation. It's as if Simeon thought, this is amazing, I don't need to see him grow up. I don't need to see any miracles. I don't need to see him die for my sins. I don't need to see him be raised from the dead. I don't need to see anything else. I've seen him, and now I can die. Simeon says that he can leave this world in peace now that he has seen Jesus. Simeon was ready to go home to be with God after seeing Christ. And there is a huge spiritual truth for us to see here, and it's very simple. If we have beheld the Messiah with the eye of faith, if we have taken up this Jesus with the arms of faith, we too can die in peace. If we have truly seen what Simeon saw that day and declared that day, then we can say along with him, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Have you beheld him? Have you beheld the Christ? Have you gazed upon Jesus with the eye of faith? Have you cast yourself upon the mercy of God that is found only in Him? Not just saying, I, I believe it intellectually. Not just saying that, that I, I was raised Christian, but saying, I have cast myself upon Him and I have seen Him in His glory and I must have Him. Is He the salvation of God to you? Is He the light of revelation to you? Is he your glory? If your answer is no, I beg you to open your eyes to him and don't be hard-hearted or stubborn toward him because he is your only hope. As we learned earlier, he is the only salvation that there is. There is only peace with God in him. You must turn from your sin and your stubborn pride and look to him in faith, believing that he is the son of God and the salvation of God. See him and trust in him for he is salvation itself but for those of us who have seen him we have peace with God I want to encourage you this Christmas season with that Christian you objectively have peace with God if you've seen him you know God we can depart from this world in peace knowing that we have been saved because we've seen him 
This is part of the message of Christmas. For whatever else that we might think of when we think of Christmas, here it is. Peace with God. Peace with God. No fear of death. Why? Because our sins have been forgiven. And how has this happened? Because the Son of God was born. This has happened because the Son of God was born. Born to live and die and be resurrected on behalf of God's people. Born to save sinners. Born to reconcile unworthy women and unworthy men to the God that they've sinned against. Born to save the world. As the hymn says, come thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Once we have seen the one who was born to set his people free, we can die at peace. So look to him in faith and have peace with God so that by his grace you may depart from this world with joy and peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful portion of scripture. We thank you for the words that your spirit inspired Simeon to say on that day. God, I pray that you would help us to see Christ rightly. That those of us who are already converted, God, that we would look upon Christ and, and glory in him and see him more truly now. And not just see this sentimental babe in a manger, but see the one who is the savior of the world. The one who is light of, for revelation. The one who is our glory. Help us to see him rightly that we might be led into deeper worship and gratitude. And Lord, if there be any among us who are unconverted, I pray that you would bring them to their knees in conviction and let them look up and see the face of Christ, that they might turn to him so that they might have peace with you. Lord, we thank you that for those of us who have turned to Christ in faith, we can depart from this world in peace, knowing that we have been saved because of him. He is our salvation, and we thank you for him. We pray all this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.